if you want to start a school, start a school as soon as you can in the smallest way possible. So maybe that looks like, um, hey, let's uh, we have a lot of homeschool families, so let's start hosting a, a homeschool group, you know, three days of the week at our church. And so now you went from zero to one. Now you have something. Okay, now there's movement. Now you've kind of uh, started to stretch the body and you're, you know, you can actually, you're getting a little bit limber. Um, so start something. Outstanding is a production of The Washington Stand, where you can find news and commentary from a biblical worldview. Welcome, friends, to Outstanding. I'm your host, Joseph Backholm. This is the place where we have critical conversations about the news of the day and the ideas that shape us. All from a Christian worldview, trying to make sure that we are doing everything we can to take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You know, there were many challenges associated with COVID, but one of the silver linings was the increased demand for alternatives to government schools. Parents became aware during the coronavirus crisis, and many for the first time, of what exactly was happening in their children's schools. And as a result, they started looking for something different. But for many, finding an alternative has been hard to do. Now, simultaneously, school choice legislation is gaining momentum around the country, and I don't think it's a coincidence that school choice legislation is gaining momentum post-COVID, post-awareness of what's going on. And that legislation stands to make it financially more realistic for families to look for alternatives. But at the same time, the Supreme Court has recently clarified that school choice programs that do exist cannot discriminate against religious schools. So this has created a kind of perfect combination of factors, which means that Christian schools can use the same money to provide a Christian education that would otherwise be used to create a decidedly non-Christian education. Now, this has a lot of people thinking about how great it would be to have a Christian school. But of course, Christian school isn't something you can just run down to the store and get. And for many, the prospect of starting a Christian school is so daunting they don't even try. And so they decide that the status quo will have to be acceptable because change is just too hard. But what if starting a Christian school actually was possible for you and your church and your community and your combination of churches? What if it didn't require immediately purchasing big buildings and hiring dozens of staff? What if there were people who had already done it, who were eager to walk alongside you and show you how it can be done? And in fact, that's exactly the situation we find ourselves in today. And that's the conversation we're going to have today. And joining us for this to share his experience starting a Christian school and what he's doing to help others all over the country do the same is Michael Alaya, co-founder and CEO of Dexter Academy. Michael, good to have you today. Great to be here. So excited to, uh, to talk about the future of education. Well, and let's talk about that uh, a, a bit more broadly. Just uh, I, I gave kind of my synopsis there of what I think the education situation in America is, but uh, what's your observation? We are in the midst of a sea change. I mean, it is, it is, it's uh, really a revolution, um, for lack of a better word, what's happening with school choice. I mean, for, for decades, we've been stuck with a, a government system of secular schools where 90% of the kids go to the local school district. Um, and that's finally changing. And that's like you said, it's a combination of what happened kind of during COVID, where there's this new demand for different options, whether it's homeschooling or micro schools. Um, and then the, the big enabler is school choice. You know, we're finally empowering parents with the power of the purse. And that is a transformational thing. And, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to, to mention the U.S. is fairly atypical in how we run our school systems. Most school systems across the country, across the world, if you look at, 
the United Kingdom or Hong Kong or Belgium, Denmark, Indonesia, Israel, uh, Sweden, people like to point to, they have a pluralistic education system. And what that means, it's a system of schools that the government funds and regulates but doesn't necessarily operate. So you end up getting a pluralism uh, of options uh, and, and pluralism works. Uh, that's that's good to have unique you know, values um, and approaches. And what we're gonna see, my kind of hope for the future of American education is that parents can send their kids to schools that align with their values. Because uh, right now we have this one size fits all school system that is tries to be agnostic to values, but of course that's impossible. And what ends up happening is these classrooms uh, there's a huge variability of experience because of kind of how the curriculum works. And so you end up having this wide range of who knows what will happen in the classroom. And um, parents are finally waking up to the fact, wait, this is completely antithetical to my values, what's happening here. And that's, you know, second to the to the, the fact that the existing school system just not that effective. Just in terms of basic academics, the efficacy rate, you know, something like 70% of the kids across the US are not at grade level in reading and writing. And so there's kind of this two-pronged issue of, of basic academics and value alignment. Um, and that's why I'm so excited about, you know, the next decade or so, because we can finally solve that issue. And it really starts with empowering parents. Um, and when you do that, you're going to see more options that align with their values and uh, more community-based options, more local options. You know, this, this idea of, of what does school mean? Um, it's probably not going to be a standalone building. It's going to be porously connected with the community. They're going to be embedded in churches and community groups. Um, it's going to kind of bring us back, if you will, to this more community-centric model of education. Um, and that's really exciting. And we need it. Yeah, we do need it. We, we do need to embrace the future where school and education is not going to look in the future like what it has looked like in the past. And that's not a bad thing. That's actually a really good thing. But Michael, there's another point I want to I want to pick up on that you just made and emphasize. You talked about the pluralism that exists within the school system and other places. Now, we have seen lots of conflict lately in school board meetings. And there's all this debate about, you know, wokeness and LGBT curriculum and the 1692 project and all of just kind of this curriculum debates that have been uh, that it would have been debated and, and gotten tons of attention. But one of the reasons that has been such an intense battle is because we see the school system as a zero-sum game. We pretended that there was some kind of neutrality that we could educate from. And, and there is no reason why the parent who wants to teach their children that Jesus is Lord of all shouldn't be able to have their kid in that kind of a school while the parent who wants their kid to be taught by a drag queen should have that option. And in, in a market-based world, which is what we claim to be is still kind of a free market kind of country, at least in, in significant ways, we still are that. But um, this idea that within education, there's only one size, uh, one value system that everybody is going to have to embrace. It's the lack of choice that is feeding the intensity of the war over the education system right now. Because in a better world, it's like if, you know, if you said the only thing you're allowed to set that, you know, the, the restaurant system in America is only going to sell hamburgers. And then all the people who really like tacos would be bothered by that because they would want tacos. And then the hamburger people would fight and say, no, we want hamburgers. When everyone would look at that situation and say, well, why don't we do both? 
why don't we have a hamburger place and a taco place? And if you feel like tacos, go get tacos. If you feel like a burger, go get burgers. And that's essentially what we've been doing over education in the political debates recently is saying we only have one curriculum. Everybody's going to have to be subjected to this curriculum. And if you don't like it, tough. And in a sane world, that's not the choice that's being presented. And increasingly, I think we are realizing that it is wrong to force one option on an entire country of 330 million people who are diverse in every imaginable way. So yeah, let's create some options. And you nailed, you, you nailed it. That's, that's why we're seeing these culture wars and this intensity in these school board meetings. It's a structural problem. And the, the, the genius of the United States is that we solve that largely through pluralism and through markets, through freedom. Let, let the chips fall where they may. Let people be free to choose. Um, like you said, I'm happy to, uh, you know, if, if you if you have the values where you want your child to, to be in an environment, um, you know, as you said, being taught by a drag queen, you should have the freedom to go do that. Um, but trying to force all of these values in a kind of a one size fits all situation, it creates a, an impossible bargain. And so, again, it gets us back to centralized planning doesn't work. Um, I kind of find myself in a little bit of so. So in Texas, uh, school choice was actually blocked by the House of Representatives. Um, and I find myself kind of like I'm in the twilight zone because, you know, it's supposed to be the bastion of freedom and free markets. And, right. and yet we have this kind of Soviet Union style centralized, you know, planned uh, school system where you get zoned based on your zip code and that, you know, the, the government operates that. Um, and that just, that just doesn't work. And so again, pluralism works. Um, and what's great about that, uh, you know, for, for the audience that's just listening, that means that we're going to get more options that align with their values. Um, right. and it ultimately work better for their kids. Um, cause ultimately that that's what this is about. It's actually made this, this thought recently that the, the Protestant reformation was to religion, what school choice is to education. And, you know, if you look back at that, what happened that the Catholic church kind of came to this point where the church and the institution became more important than the word, than the Bible. Um, some would argue. And that's in many ways where we're at with, with the school system. The system has become more important than the actual thing itself, which is to educate and to inspire and to empower these kids. That's what we're all here for. It's an education system, but it's actually become a jobs program. Um, right. And I also say that the teachers of the school system are not at fault. The te teachers are amazing. They're the heroes of our society. They, they're incredible. The real kind of uh, the people we should point to are the priestly class. You know, these are the the consultants, the lobbyists, the politicians, the administrators, the superintendents, the the members on these nonprofit associations. Um, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of people that are interested in maintaining the system, and right. that's that's the problem. Um, and and yeah. and again, luckily that's changing um, because of all these, you know, the Supreme Court case, the school choice movement, post COVID, um, the monopoly is finally ending. the The veil has 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 been you know torn and. Uh, we can now create a pluralistic education system that that better fits the needs of our kids. And that's why I'm excited to talk to your audience about. Um, we have to take that responsibility. We have to, you know, many ways, I'm, I'm hoping that churches will expand their ministry to take this on um, as, a, as, a, as a core function of what they do. Because, you know, as it said, if you send your kids to Caesar, don't be surprised when he comes back, yeah. when they come back as a Roman. And, and let, I want to emphasize that point as well, this idea that there's 16,000 hours that kids spend in a classroom if they go to school from kindergarten through 12th grade. And the prospect that the church could take those 16,000 hours and superintend them and have them done under their supervision, the opportunity for discipleship there is tremendous, right? And that's the, that is the Great Commission. 
we aren't supposed to go into all the world and make believers. We're supposed to go all the world and make disciples. And if the children in the families in your church spend those 16,000 hours in an environment that is run by people who hate Jesus, that is going to affect them. Why would we just endorse that, support that, be quiet about that, instead of taking the opportunity to say, hey, these are the families that, that God has put under our care as a church community. We now have an opportunity to take their 16,000 hours and bring them here. So, it, And it's not just about protecting people from bad stuff. It's about filling them with good stuff. We want to protect them from bad stuff, although eventually you just need to be, they, we need to be prepared to navigate the world. We can't live in a bubble where we're never exposed to anything. When we're four, five, six, seven years old, yeah, there needs to be some real protection, but we need to also claim those moments and make sure that they are getting good stuff. But Michael, I need to shift the conversation here. This is a little bit about the why, because I, because I want to get into uh, the how a little bit, um, because you have actually been involved in, and tell us this story about... Oh, you starting a Christian school and, uh, you know, how that went and where that's brought you today. Yeah. So we, we started our school in 2018. Um, I had, uh, I studied engineering and physics and, and started teaching while I was in university. Um, so I got to, to teach and I actually traveled to China teaching computer science. Um, that was an incredible experience because yeah, it really made me value the United States. Um, due process is an incredible thing. Uh, people often say, you know, oh, the, the the Republicans, Democrats, they can't agree on anything, and there's all this division in Washington. That's a feature, not a bug. We have real problems when our elected leaders in Washington uh, are all on the same page, um, like you have in a place like China. Um, that's a that's a little bit of a <laughs> of a tangent, but um, so yeah, return to, to the U.S. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah, that that's a whole well, that's another uh, podcast episode. We'll we'll save that. Um, but yeah, no, so came back to the U S and, um, we started in 2018 and, and maybe it would be, as I tell this story, uh, this maybe can serve as a little bit of a, a blueprint to anybody that is, is hearing this call because it really is a call to, to start a school. It's a, it's, it's not easy. It's operationally, it's very complex, um, on some levels and the other levels, we actually just need to simplify things and stop overthinking things. So there's a little bit of a, a duality there. Um, so we started actually by, uh, offering um, STEM workshops, and so as a as an engineer, we you know in my community there wasn't a lot of computer programming that type of stuff, um, and that was important because it started to kind of create the machinery of classroom management of you know accepting students that type of process. Um, so the best way to start a school is to start something really really small. Um, it's like the best way to write a great paper is to write a really bad paper. Just start with something really small. Um, so for a church community, you know, if you don't have a Bible study on, on Sunday with, you know, that's, that's serving young kids, um, or a group on Wednesday, create that immediately, just start something really, really small. Um, and then you can start building momentum and, that, and that's what we did. Um, so we started building momentum. Um, and then in August of 2019, uh, we started the, the full-time program, um, serving about two dozen students. Um, and then about, a so this is a, an important thing that I, I want to caution any, that a warrior travel traveler on the, on starting a school. When we started our program, we were serving kids from, you know, six to 16. This is a terrible idea. Uh, you want to start at a much more narrow age band specifically, I would, I would recommend starting, uh, upstream. So lower elementary. So think pre-K, kindergarten, first grade, second grade. If I could go back in time, I would say, Michael, start a pre-K through second grade school. Like that's where you need to start. Um, it's, it's a lot more straightforward for a variety of reasons. Um, and so, yeah, so we, we ran that program and, and then we got hit by COVID, which was a fantastic experience. Um, and, uh, 
at that point, we then moved into a, a new campus, which is in this this beautiful 30,000 square foot Presbyterian church um, that we're co-located in. Um, and that speaks to kind of our hope for, for what our school network that we're building looks like, um, is that we're building these Dexter Academies, they're, they're classical schools, um, and that they're co-located with church communities. Um, because the the two biggest challenges of starting a school are around facilities and community buy-in, you know, so, but churches solve that problem. But the travesty is, is that these incredible facilities that have been built up the blood, sweat, and tears of, you know, religious believers for decades, they sit empty, they sit idle for the entire week. And by facility, let me, let me clarify that. What you're referring to is the church building itself. Yes. The church building itself, because, but the thing is, most churches have kitchens, playgrounds, classrooms. I mean, they were designed to be schools. It is, you would be shocked if you just do an inventory of your local community. Um, you might just, oh, that, you know, uh, the, the church I attend, Fairway Baptist, oh, that's that's a small, you know, church there. Um, but if you open the hood, you realize, oh my gosh, this is a massive facility that has all this infrastructure um, and that infrastructure is not being utilized. Um, and so again, the facilities piece is so important. Churches solve that 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 piece. Um you know, you don't have to go and get into a big, you know, building with or build a building or, you know, take on some big rent. Um, you can co-locate or you can, you know, be within the premises of a church. Uh, the other piece is around community. Um, it's really hard to start a school because uh, it's there's nothing more important. The stakes are really, really high. You, you know, there's a lot of trust that goes with that. Um, and churches, they, they have the community. You have the community there already. You have a group of families. Um, and so you have that buy-in. And so those the, the combination of you know facilities and the, the church campus with an existing community, those are the two key ingredients that you need to start a small school. Um, and then if you want to get into it, there's a, a ton around the academics. And this is something I'm super passionate around, it, you know, this idea of evidence-based education, of, of using practices that work. And I'll just cut to the punchline because I could use a lot of fancy language, but the punchline is that anyone listening, you're going to start a school, start a classical school. Just trust me on this. We we started by trying to be fancy with like self-paced learning and you know uh, adaptive learning with software. And it's no, get them off the screens, uh, especially at the young age level. The the cognitive neuroscience agrees with this. They need to develop background knowledge. If you look at classical education, the trivium, yeah. this is the, the grammar phase, um, and that's about that's that's also where the value kind of the value set starts building. And so they need those those biblical stories. They need that background knowledge. Uh, so please, if you're going to start a school, don't, yeah, don't, don't yeah. put them on a computer, just classical education, uh, you know, discipline, teacher led instruction, core knowledge. Like it's, 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 we don't have to reinvent the wheel there. Let, let's go into some of these pieces. And, and I, of course, I'm, I'm biased toward the classical model as well. Uh, my oldest, who is now a freshman in college, uh, started a classical Christian school when she was in kindergarten, and all of our kids have been in that model. My wife is the lower school head of our classical school in uh, in Raleigh, North Carolina. So we have, um, you know, a deep appreciation for the classical model. Now, you can't just throw the classical label on something and say it's good. Um, there are better and worse ways uh, to implement that, to be sure. But yeah, it, it, it's a great model. Now, a couple specific questions on this. And it seems to me that the facility piece and the community buy-in piece are probably connected because in order to have a facility piece and the answer that you have proposed, and I think is a legitimate proposal, is that a church who has a bunch of real estate that sits empty Monday through Friday says, hey, why don't we use this for a school? But in order for a church to get enthusiastic about that, the church is going to have to sense 
that there is like demand for this. So your experience, you've been helping, you did this yourself. You've been helping other people do this recently. How hard is that these days to approach a pastor of a church who has, you know, nine empty classrooms sitting there doing nothing Monday through Friday to say, yeah, please use this, you know, start a, start a kindergarten class, start a kindergarten and a first grade class. We'd love to have you. How hard is that to get buy-in for now? So it depends, you know, because a lot of churches run uh, daycare programs. And so again, a lot of the process is already in place. And so, you know, we've, we've talked to a lot of churches that run daycare programs um, and they're thrilled with the idea of having somewhere to, you know, they would like to maintain that relationship um, versus kind of sending their, the kids to the wolves. Um, you know, the other, the other piece, uh, increasingly church leaders are becoming aware that this is the battleground that, you know, we have that, you know, we have to create these pluralistic options. We have to create these, these exit options. Um, I love that dichotomy of voice versus exit. If you don't have an exit option, you don't really have voice. And so they're increasingly becoming aware of, we must expand our ministry to include schooling. Um, and so it, again, it depends if they have a, a, a daycare program, that's a pretty, you know, easy extension. Um, increasingly what, what we're seeing more of though, is a church that doesn't necessarily operate it themselves. Um, but they will partner with an existing school. Um, so we've seen this, uh, I was just recently in Oklahoma City, um, they just passed school choice. And so uh, that's another kind of component and on the demand side is that in places like Oklahoma and Arizona and Florida, um, Arkansas, I mean, it's really, really, really growing. North Carolina, um, put them on the list. No, oh, They've yeah, North Carolina yep. Yep. Uh, and, and growing. Well, Texas, Texas will be soon after, after the primaries. Um, Please, yes. It's crazy that yeah, so Texas, it's, <laughs> I mean, so behind the curve on this stuff. Come on, Texas. We, I would love to go. I, I, I call it the education industrial complex. It's very much like the military industrial complex, uh, revolving door of politicians, lobbyists, and consultants, yeah. but uh, we won't go there. But no, there's, there's a demand now because now the congregation can afford it. They can afford it. Um, and so we're increasingly, though, what we're seeing is, is churches that will partner with a school like ours, which is, hey, you know, we have, we're a classical school, we have value alignment, you know, faith-based program. Um, can we co-locate in your facility? And so in many ways, it's an easy button for the church to uh, offer this to their, to their community. Um, the way that we structure it and what we've seen other schools do is um, they will pay a small, you know, small rent, cover utilities, help them with some renovations to classrooms. Um, and so it creates this really kind of beneficial relationship where, um, a, you know, a small micro school that, you know, because the schools we're, we're talking about opening have, they serve 60 kids, you know, pre-K through second grade. And so the economics don't necessarily make sense for a school like that to build a building and their own playground and kitchen. Um, so this is a really beautiful partnership between these, these small micro schools um, and church communities. And so that's what we're, we're seeing more of is uh, private schools co-locating um, on, a, on, a, on a, a church campus where the the church doesn't necessarily have to take on the burden of responsibility with hiring and because there's a lot of, you know, transcripts and, you know, teacher training and, and it's a lot. And, and we've talked to a few that uh, they, they, they feel that, that hesitation of, oh, that's, that's a lot to put on our plate. Um, so again, that's, that's, uh, that's what we're, we're seeing more of. If they have a daycare program, they actually might have the situation where they can start their own program and operate it themselves. Um, and then the other, the other side of it is this idea of co-location with some of these providers. Now, Michael, give some advice to the, the person who's listening right now 
uh, might be a pastor, have a facility, or might just be a concerned parent, and they've been feeling for a while like there's a passion here, but it feels like an overwhelming task, and so they haven't necessarily like thrown themselves into it. And they can say, okay, I need a facility, um, yeah, but I also I, I need community buy-in. I have some friends that might do this, um, and there's places I can get curriculum for. Maybe it's the Dexter Academy. Maybe we go to you know, the various providers of classical education options. And there's the Association of Classical Christian Schools. And there's the, um, what's the East Coast version of that? Uh, it's escaping me at the moment. Um, but they also are going to need like a leadership team. And like, if, if they think, I can't do this by myself. Do you have any recommendations for like, who's the steering committee? What pieces do you need? If you have like motivated mom and dad, and they're like, we'd love to have a school or motivated pastor. Um, but what other pieces do they need um, just in terms of human capital to make something like this uh, successful as it launches? Even if we're, you know, we're going to scale down, we're going to be realistic, we're going to do something that's, you know, one grade or two grades or three grades for young kids to start that off. We're not going to try to, you know, launch a K through 12 school on day one. That might be um, unreasonable. But what are the human pieces that we need uh, in order to make this thing successful? So I would describe it, I would say clouds and dirt. You need both. So the, the, the big vision, the excitement, the passion, that, that's a prerequisite to make any of this possible. Uh, one thing that we learned, and uh, you know, as an engineer that experienced with, with software and, oh, can we use software for learning? What we learned is that people are the key variable. In education, people are what matter most. And so uh, groups of parents, pastors, educators coming together, that is that is the prerequisite. That is the key variable that you have to have. And so if you're a parent or a pastor, uh, you need to bring people together, you know, propose this as an option, get excitement, get the get the fuel burning, um, because it's a difficult process. But you you got to get that kind of initial spark that it, so bringing that kind of group of, of stakeholders together, get them excited about the prospect of, wow, what could we provide to our kids? You know, we could, wow, we could do this, we could do that. That excitement is, is really important. Um, and then that's great, but then you also need the dirt, you know, so okay, operationally, how do we go about doing this? Um, it very much depends on the unique situation of, you know, do they have the experience? Do they have, you have a teacher there? Do you have the, the classroom? Have you, do you run a daycare? But what I will say is just get something started. The, the great tragedy of the public school system is that it's ran by committees. And what committees do is they diffuse responsibility and nothing happens. Um, we need to act. We need to, we need to act. And so I would very much encourage movement. You know, so uh, if you want to start a school, start a school as soon as you can in the smallest way possible. So maybe that looks like, um, hey, let's uh, we have a lot of homeschool families. So let's start hosting a, a homeschool group, you know, three days of the week at our church. And so now you went from zero to one. Now you have something. OK, now there's movement. Now you've kind of uh, started to stretch the body and you're, you know, you, you can actually you're getting a little bit limber. Um, so start something um, if you have nothing now on, on the on the more kind of practical uh, technicalities of if you want to run a proper kind of what how, how we run our Dexter academies. Um, you know, th then you're going to need to think through things like, uh, you know, what's the actual curriculum? Curriculum is so important. Most people don't realize that the most schools across the U.S. don't have a curriculum. They have standards. And so the standard will be something like summarize the main idea. And so that's left up to the individual teacher. Um, we found that it's incredibly important to find a great curriculum. Um, and if you, you know, there's a few resources to, to start that. Um, but you know, given that you actually we 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 have values that you want to transmit, um, that piece is so so important. Find a really great curriculum, um, and then you need to think about you know things like 
furniture and you know it actually doesn't take a lot of money to to renovate a classroom you know paint carpet that type of stuff um and then the the other piece is the the teachers you know we really believe that teacher led instruction is is really really important and so you really need to nail um, expectations on what are the classroom practices those teachers practice um and there's a, a rabbit hole of resources you could look at um but i, I would just say uh, look into something called direct instruction that's from Siegfried Engelman um look into the work of Daniel Willingham it's background knowledge um Edie Hirsch is well known for the idea of core knowledge um you know i would i would very much encourage you not to be romantic about it um there's a lot of this is the the thing that plagues most of these efforts is that parents are really excited and and they'll throw on buzzwords like self-paced learning and personalized learning let's put them on an adaptive software program um no that doesn't work for most kids uh like don't be romantic uh, like especially at the you know because you have one shot at literacy so you know do phonics uh you know there's a a great podcast called sold a story, you know, so there's, there's a whole, a whole set of kind of these very practical uh, jobs to be done around the core academics, but you've got to nail the core academics. Um, but, you know, broadly speaking, I love to share my information and uh, cause so much of this is you kind of site specific. Um, and I, I'm, I'm happy to share some of the, the learnings we've had. So if anyone is interested in, in starting a school, um, just reach out to me directly and uh, I'd love to kind of walk you through it. Well, and tell people how they can do that. And I'm going to ask some follow-up questions here, but uh, yeah, how can people reach out to you directly? If you go to DexterAcademy.org, so DexterAcademy.org, um, and th- there's a way you can, you know, contact us uh, through that website, and um, we'd be we happy to to walk walk you through this. Um, the the important thing to think about uh, as a as a church school though is if in order to receive ESA funds, school, you know, this, these school choice programs, most state legislatures write into that legislation that you have to have accreditation. And so that's right. typically about a one to two year process. Um, so that, you know, could be a little bit of a hindrance. Um, but, you know, that's why, again, we're seeing churches partner with with folks like Dexter Academy, where they can co-locate um, on their campus. Um, so that's, that's another, the, the accreditation piece is a, another, you know, thing that if you wanted to to run your own school with your own team um, on a church campus, you have to start thinking about uh, pretty early stages. And, and Michael, I, I understand that you guys have something of a, I don't know if it's a school in a box, if that's the right term, but kind of a starter kit that will answer a lot of these questions and help people know here's the steps that you need to take. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah, so like I said, so we're now working with churches and co-locating our schools. Um, I'm, I'm spending a lot of time in Oklahoma. Um, our plan there is by the by August, we're going to have five um, new Dexter Academies opening up in partnership with churches. Um, so if, if you're a church that's interested in starting a, a classical school, um, we'd love to co-locate um, on your campus. And uh, this has kind of further inspired me. I will I'll, I'll commit to uh, creating a resource on our website for anybody that wants to start a school that will kind of, you know, maybe a five page PDF that just kind of runs through the crash course of, of what you might need to think. And I, I want to tell you something. When I was starting our school in 2018, uh, I came across an official state of Texas website. And in and, and this website, it said, so you want to start a school question mark. And it was the most kind of flippant article about trying to talk you out of starting a school. Oh, oh, you think you're going to be the savior that fixes that fixes all the problems of the world, right? And it tries to talk you out of starting a school. And you know what? That is could not be further from the truth. I want to encourage everybody to start a school um, because there could not be anything more important than uh inspiring, empowering, and educating our youth. And we cannot, you know, offload that responsibility to our government any longer. We we've seen the consequences of 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 what's happened with that. You know, yeah. um our That's right. yeah uh, 
So, so please take on that responsibility. And uh, now we have the tools, the resources with school choice for parents across the country to do it. Yeah. And of course, that doesn't exist in every single state. So, I mean, the the the, the landscape is shifting uh, rapidly. But Michael, based on your experience and you're helping other people do this, we're sitting here at the end of 2023. How much runway do you need? If a, if a parent is sitting here right now listening to this or or a church and a pastor thinking, okay, this is something that the Lord is calling me to do. I need to do this. Realistically, is this something that can be up and running in the fall of 2024 on a scaled down responsible version? Do you need several years? How long does this take? You, you can definitely. Um, yeah, I would, I would point towards, uh, that's the other important thing to think about with, with schooling is that there definitely are cycle times. And so, you know, fall, like that fall cycle time is, uh, that's really kind of like the key point. And so if you miss that start point, it's very difficult to start a school in terms of enrollment, um, uh, because the kind of that the, the ship has left the, you know, the, the trains left the station. Um, so you really have to kind of time your start date, uh, when you launch these schools, you know, of course you could start it in the spring. Um, but for better or worse, the kind of the semester cadence is very real. Um, so you really do kind of need to target that, you know, that August, September start date. Um, but if, you know, if you get started now, you most certainly could start a, a small, you know, kindergarten, first grade program um, by the fall. Uh, you know, certainly with, if you co-locate with a, a, you know, a school like what we're doing or what, what other churches have done, you can do that, you know, really, really quickly. Um, but yeah, I would, I would say, you know, three to six months and um, start small, start, you know, start a really, really small program. Um, and you'd be incredible, you know, it's the Matthew principle. These things compound over time, um, but you just got to, you got to pack the snowball. And then as it rolls, the service area increases. Uh, the hardest part is getting started. Just start something. Yeah, small. And my, my prayer for this is that as people start in the, in the months and years to come, first, second, third grade, that by the time, and then you add the, the model is very often you start K in first grade, then you add second grade the next year, then you add third grade, then you add fourth grade as your students grow. So there's always a grade to take your current students that by the time that they're in middle school and high school, so many people have been enticed out of the government system that there's empty buildings that we then purchase and redeem. And that's kind of the vision that I, that, that I have for the next 10 years is that you're going to see a lot of buildings that are currently being occupied to provide educations that are terrible for the souls of the people in them. And that a decade from now, they will be redeemed and teaching truth and good and beautiful and true things that are going to nourish and feed people's souls rather than destroy their souls. Um, but in order for that to happen, to build that nucleus, we have to start now. We have to have that vision and we have to, you know, do the work and, and not see this as like a labor of like, you know, administration. This is a labor of discipleship. And it really is about the hearts, minds, and souls of our children. And there is literally nothing on earth more important than that. Is it convenient? It is not convenient. It is decidedly not convenient, but it is also really, uh, really important. Michael, once again, give us the website where people can go to uh, contact you, get your resources. It's not the only set of resources, but it's good ones. And we want people to know that there's somewhere to go to get help. So if you go to DexterAcademy.org, um, Dexter is short for dexterity, but DexterAcademy.org. Um, and I just want to want to echo what you, you said. There could be nothing more important. Um, and this is ultimately how we kind of take our nation back um, and how we 
really fix some of our, our grand challenges. And, and so much of the issues that we see is because we, we lack shared language. We lack shared understanding. We, we've lost our stories. One of the great tragedies of the secularization of society is that we lost the shared framework of the Bible. Um, and what that has created is it's created this immense fragmentation. Whereas previously, when the U.S. kind of first started, we had these one-room schoolhouses that were incredibly decentralized, yet everybody used Noah Webster's blueback speller. Um, and biblical teachings. And so no matter where you traveled across the U.S., there is this shared mental framework. There is this shared language. Um, and we've lost that. And, you know, the consequences is that we can't communicate any longer. And so what's really cool about this is that a decentralized system actually on a higher level leads to more unity. And that's a very beautiful thing. Michael, thank you so much for your, your time today. Um, I'm, I'm inspired by the work that you're doing. I know it's going to encourage a lot of other people. I know that I, I just literally every week I hear stories um, from people around the country who God is just placing this on their heart, that this is something I got to do. It's so important. And as we get connected to each other in this joint effort, I, I really think that it is a, a process of renewal uh, that is going to, um, you know, who knows what the future of our country is exactly, um, but this is for the church and for the kingdom. Uh, whatever happens to political boundaries and elections and all of those things is secondary to what, what God is doing in the world. And this is part of discipleship and education and, and, and formation and, and soul shaping and evangelism and all of those things that the church is just intended to be. So really appreciate your efforts and your time today and uh, look forward to talking down the road. Awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, I'll be praying for for everybody that's listening. And um, I hope that they, uh, you know, find the the strength and the the vision and the courage to to take on this challenge because courage is in short supply right now. And um, God loves courage. That's right. Trust and obey for there's no other way. Friends, we thank you for joining us today. If you have enjoyed it, please do share it with a friend because they will probably learn something as well. And also, if you are appreciating this product, this podcast, make sure you understand that it only happens because of support of friends like you. And if you would like to support the ministry here, please do text the word outstanding to 67742, which will give you a chance to financially support what we are doing here. And again, that's text the word outstanding to 67742 to support the program. We also love to hear from you. If you have any questions, uh, please email outstanding at washingtonstand.com. We love to hear your comments, your suggestions for future programs. You do make the program a lot better. Also, make sure you like and subscribe wherever you're finding it. New programs are released every Tuesday and Friday. We want to make sure you don't miss any of them. It's been a pleasure to be with you once again. Look forward to next time. My name is Joseph Backel, and this has been Outstanding. Outstanding is a production of The Washington Stand, where you can find news and commentary from a biblical worldview. 